I, uh, I have to confess, when, uh, when Guga and Brian called and it was uh, kind of last minute, and um, uh, so the first thing I do when I'm tasked to preach is kind of look through some of the sermons I've done before, kind of look back and see if there's something in there that can refresh my memory and something that I don't have to go from scratch because I take a little longer than Pastor Guga <laughs> does to to go through. So uh, I went back and found, uh, of course, last week Guga was a huge help and I was able to kind of redo one of his sermons and I thank him for that. And um, uh, I think it went, it went well, I think. And this week um, I'm going to be doing one that I did before we moved here. We'd actually just moved here and I'd committed to preaching up there, but we had a church up in West Lynn that has three different campuses and the pastor was been there for 25 years and was going to take the summer off as a sabbatical and do some writing and things. So we had about six of us that sat around a table and actually picked parables. We we're going to do a series on the parables and we picked parables out of a hat. <laughs> and uh, I drew I drew this parable of the talents and providentially I'm very, very glad that I did. <laughs> and I think you're going to see it has... Uh, a lot to do uh, with reinforcing and reminding us of some of the things that we've been talking about, even uh, when I was talking about the body and was Google was talking about our bulwark. And a lot of those things are going to tie together, I think, in this in this parable. And a parable is a, a story. The title of that sermon series was called That Reminds Me of a Story. <laughs> and we know parables are stories that Jesus told um, and intentionally, some of them were to uh, to hide a little bit of the truth and to hide some of the things uh, rather than just saying them straightforward. He would he would go in this and he would tell and people would really understand it and really know. And some people wouldn't. And that's God's choice on how that worked out. And some of them are confusing to us in modern times, too, <laughs> because when you start talking about you know, 10 virgins and five lamps and oil and trimming lamps. And, you know, that's not something you see every day. Right. So um, we have to go through and kind of kind of work our way through these. So we're going to spend some good time, I think, in Matthew 25 today. Matthew 25, we're going to look at verses 14 through 30. But before I read the text, I want to get a little bit of context here um, and and see where we're at. Like I've said, this is a parable, so it's a story that Jesus told. It has a meaning, and we need to understand that meaning, so we need to look at some of the things that were going on at the time. First thing I want to talk about is what is a talent. And i got to say, Matt was right. We talked Wednesday night, and he thought the English word for talent came from this uh, parable from the Scriptures, and actually it does. It's, it's uh, uh, a Greek word for a Hebrew measure of weight, okay? And it's talent or a version of talent. And we've taken it in America as talent, something that you, you do. Or So they've taken this story and that word, and it has somehow in 2,000 years become, you know, America's got talent, right? <laughs> so it's kind of lost its true meaning along the way a little bit. So, but, uh, uh, so a talent, what is a talent? It's a measure of weight. And they're listed up there for you. Uh, they started with a gira, which is just a grain of barley, very, very small measure of weight. And then went uh, to a shekel. A shekel is about 20 gira. 
Um, so the coins, like Judas, would have been paid probably in shekels. The silver coins that he got was probably around a shekel. Um, and then it goes up to a minah or a mina, and that's 60 shekels. It weighed about a pound. So you figure if you had 60 of those little coins, you'd have somewhere around a pound. And then a talent was about 60 minah. So about 60 pounds, right? So that's something to think about. A talent. 60 pounds of something. Unger's Dictionary says, A talent seems to have been a full weight for an able man to carry. Second Kings, if you want to turn there, this is kind of interesting. Turn to Second Kings chapter 5. <clears throat> Second Kings chapter five is a short little section here that kind of gives us an idea of what a talent might be. Verse twenty one of chapter five says, So Gehaza pursued Naaman, and when Naaman saw one running after him, he came down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? He said, All is well, my master has sent me, saying Behold, just now two young men, the sons of prophets, have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. And Naaman said, be pleased to take two talents. So he doubled it. He said, if one's good, you better take two just to be safe. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothes and gave them to two of his servants. And they carried them before him. So it took two guys to carry two talents. Does that make sense? So a talent was something like a weight that a man could carry. And that makes sense. When I was before, uh, when I first got out of the military, I got kind of into the farming and ranching type stuff. And, and Nestor can attest to this, that everything is about what a guy can carry. There's 50 pound seed sacks and you know, hay bales, 75 pounds, unless somebody goes crazy and makes them 100, 110, which is really a nightmare. But, yeah, everything's about, you know, the, the things are about what a man can carry. And it's the same thing more common to us here is the construction industry, right? 60 and 80 pound bags of concrete and you got shingle bundles and, you know, whatever's bundled into something, it's usually so one man can carry it. So that's what a talent was. Uh, we don't totally know what was in the sack. On this, in this occasion, we saw in Second Kings it says silver, right? But here it doesn't really tell us. It just says talents. So it, uh, it's a sack of something, right? The NIV actually says sacks of gold. And some translations uh, say a sack of money. Some say $10,000. But the amount is not really relevant except for the fact that it was a lot. It was abundant, okay? That's what we have to focus on. But in case you wanted to know, the approximate current value of 60 pounds of gold is around $1.2 million. For one, that would be one talent of gold in current times, 1.2 million. Silver would be about 50-ish thousand, so about, about a year's wage, okay? And there's some of the commentators and ones that say that's maybe a good way to look at it, is it was five years' wages, two years' wages, one year's wage, something like that, okay? Just so we have a, a base point. Now, when we did this uh, story originally, when I was teaching on it, uh, we were tasked with coming up with a slightly different way to, to say it, okay? Not to allegorize it, not to change it, not to do anything weird with it, but just to kind of update it a little bit 
in our modern American 2,000-year-later brains, okay? So I'm going to do that just briefly, okay? So say there's a, a boss, a big boss, and I think when I did this one, I was up in the Portland area, and I was talking about, you know, maybe like Bill Gates or, you know, uh, Steve Jobs, one of those kind of guys, but now one's dead and one's in trouble, whatever. <laughs> so, some boss, okay, of a big corporation, a big situation, right? And he gives, he calls in three of his employees, three of his guys, and he says, all right, I'm going to give you five years wages. I'm going to give you ten year, or two years wages, and I'm going to give you a year's wages. I'm going to be gone for a long time, but... You know, I'll come back and, and we'll see what, what happened. Okay, so the five years guy got five years worth of wages. So I don't know if I would do this. I would probably maybe take a vacation for a little bit. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know where I'd be. But this guy took it, immediately invested it or started a business, trades it, whatever. But somehow he takes that five years wages and doubles it. Okay. And then the two years guy, the guy that has two years worth of wages, he does the same thing. He's diligent and wise with his, what he's been given, and he takes it and he doubles it. And the one-year guy, guy who got one year's, got a check for one year's wage, he went and cut a little hole in his mattress, stuck it in the mattress, sewed it up, left it there. Okay? So if we think about it that way a little bit, think about when the guy, the boss, comes back. Okay? How would they feel? Think about, kind of put yourself in their shoes, okay? How would you feel? What would your, what would the reaction of the boss be? How would you feel if you doubled your money? How would you feel if you had hidden it and he came back and you didn't have anything to show for it? And what would the reaction of the boss be? The truth of this story that Jesus is telling us is it's about him. He's leaving there's going to be a departure. He's talking to his disciples. He's going to be leaving. And he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to want to know what we've been doing. We will have to give an account for what we've been doing when he returns. This passage follows the Olivet Discourse. If you guys remember when we were in Mark 13 is the parallel passage to Matthew 24. Okay. The Olivet Discourse. And I have to say, since I've taught this before, almost a decade ago, I have a little new perspective on the Olivet Discourse, too. That was a, that was a very eye-opening message, that sermon that, that Pastor Guga did on, Math, on Mark 13. I would, if you haven't heard it, I would advise you to go back and listen to it. But the Olivet Discourse, talking about what he's sitting with his disciples and telling them what's going to happen, right? What's going to happen to him? And then we get the parable of the uh, ten virgins, right? Which is about being ready. And then following this parable is the judgment of the sheep and goats. The separation of the sheep and goats. Sheep on his right hand, goats on his left hand. So this is all about separation, return, and judgment. Okay? It's an eschatological passage. It's about culmination, right? It's about the second advent. It's about judgment. Eschatology, we know, is the study of how things end. And there's a lot of different views on eschatology, right? On how things are going to end. But the cold hard truth is, is that we have a personal eschatology, right? 
we will come to an end. We don't know how or when, but every human being's time on earth at some point in some way will end. The parable of the virgins tells us to be ready. This parable tells us that we better be doing something while we're waiting. So let's take a look. If you have your Bibles open to Matthew 25, would you stand with me and we'll read this passage together. Matthew 25, I'm going to read 14 through 30. For it is just like, so that's, I'm going to read out of the ESV. I'm going to read out of the ESV. Most of you have the ESV. The kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents? Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should receive what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him. Give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from those, the one, from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You may be seated. Sobering. Here's our outline for this morning. There's a couple of different things I want to point out about this story as we go through it. We see three amounts and two results. Two types of servants, the faithful and the lazy. And no matter the amount, the reward will be the same for the faithful servant. If you notice, I I don't know if you noticed, but verse 21 and 23 are exactly the same. So that's, I just gave you a free two-for-one verse to memorize, right? If you memorize 21, you can say, I know 21 and 23, right? <laughs> but they're exactly the same. One had two, gave back four. One had five, gave back ten. The result, same, okay? And for the lazy servant, the punishment, even though he was responsible for the smallest amount, 
was the same as if he'd been given 10 or 20 talents, right? The result is the same. So why different amounts? Why different amounts? Why 5, 2, and 1? Why not 3, 3, 3? Or 10, 10, 10, right? That's not equitable. You heard these words lately? That's not equal, right? It has to do with diversity. And we're talking about diversity. We're going to talk about God's true diversity, right? Diversity is not... It's funny that the people that talk about us being too binary, when they talk about diversity, what they see as diversity is a church that has exactly half people of one skin color and half people of another skin color. That's their version of diversity, right? Okay. This is, <clears throat> this is our creator's diversity that we're going to be talking about today. So it says, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. Our creator is a lover of variety. If order is the first law of creation, then variety is surely the second. And I get that. Have you ever heard that? Order is the first law of heaven. That's a quote from Alexander Pope, who was a 17th century English poet. He's also the one who translated Homer from Greek into English. The guy knew his his ancient Greek pretty well. So, Lucy, you can thank Alexander Pope for she had to read Homer this year. So having Homer in English is because of this guy. But his quote is, order is the first law of heaven. So I'm saying if order is the first law of creation, then variety is surely the second. Because these are both attributes that our God loves to show us, right? His character traits that he puts on display. Order and diversity. Stephen Meyer, who's a Christian scholar uh, and a creationist, Uh, That's his main area of expertise. He's a Christian scholar discussing the case for intelligent design. He wrote a book called Darwin's Doubt. Excellent book if you want to read it. He talks uh, about how 150 years ago when... uh, um, My mind just went blank. uh, For some reason it's Calvin. The uh, uh, the, uh, 150 years ago, the evolutionist... Huh? Yeah, Origin of Species. Darwin, yeah. I just said Darwin's doubt. Sheesh. Excuse me. Charles Darwin found a layer called the Cambrian layer, okay? And in this Cambrian layer of fossils, there was a pretty good diversity, a pretty good variety of fossils in there. And he just assumed that as time went on, as 150 years, you know, it's been 150 years now, that as time went on, they would find the creatures before that that became those creatures and they would find the creatures after that that became us. But that hasn't happened. We know that. In fact, what has happened is in that one layer, that Cambrian layer, they're finding many, many, many creatures that no longer exist, right? So it was massively diverse at one point in one period in time, possibly before the flood, you know, and the flood happened, maybe. Oh, but... So they found this layer and it's getting more and more diverse. So this atheist Chinese um, scientist has said that if what's happening is because, you know, Darwin's theory was we started with one cell, right? Somewhere appeared this cell 
and then it became different things. And, and so it spread out. And then you have this like upside down family tree, right, is what's happening. So if that was true, we'd be more and more diverse, right, if things kept changing into different things. This Chinese uh, scientist said that that takes Darwin's theory and flips it upside down. So there was so much diversity in this Cambrian layer, and now it's getting more and more narrow. Things are going extinct, right? Instead of new things appearing. So anyway, so all that to say, creation, even originally, was probably way more diverse than it is now. Something to think about. And it's incredibly diverse now. I like watching the, the documentaries if you get past the the billions of years ago gobbledygook. But if you can watch really about these creatures that are finding in the bottom of the sea and, you know, different areas and islands and deserts and all, you know, it's just incredible the amount of diversity that's on this planet. Right. And then the same thing with when I did the sermon on um, uh, running the race together, we were talking about the body, the human body inside your own body, the amount of diversity to think that one little tiny DNA strand that's exactly the same in every single cell in your body causes your body to make all the different types of cells, skin cells, muscle cells, you know, your brain, then somehow this three pound lump of goo in your head makes everything work, right? Is incredible, incredible amount of diversity. And it's the same with the church body, right? We talked about that. It's the same in here. This is a diverse group of individuals once you get to know us, right? A lot of different stories. It's good. So diversity. Another attribute that God is fond of showing us is his sovereignty. An attribute that in our sin nature, we want to steal, right? Even all the way back to Eve. Satan told Eve. He doesn't want you to eat that because you'll be like him, right? And ever since then, that's what we want to do. When we were talking about anxiety, when Google was preaching on anxiety in Philippians a little while back, and we were talking about it after, and we decided anxiety really comes from a lack of control, feeling out of control, right? I'm not in control. That makes me a little anxious, <laughs> right? <laughs> And it's the same with anger. Anger. I can't control that person and what they're doing. So I'm mad at them because they're not doing what I want them to do, right? I want to be in control of other people even, right? So we like to steal this in our sin. We like to steal this attribute and not contribute it to God. God chooses where a toe goes and what it does, and he supplies the power to it. He designed the heart and the brain. He does the same with his servants in his church. He distributes the gifts according to the abilities that he's given. He causes it all to work together. So if you have an issue with that, the fact that God does whatever he wills to whomever he wills, however he wills. If you have an issue with that, first thing I would do is uh, point you to Romans 9. Go read Romans 9 real quick and then come back and we'll talk more. But the second question is, uh, if I put you in those shoes, if you're a, you're a charitable, you're a charitable person, right? If we give... Right. We give generously of our time and our money to somebody and, you know, they come back and say, I, I didn't I didn't want that. Or I, why don't you give me more money? Right. You give me that amount. I want more. Or, you know, I'm, I didn't need that. You should have gave me this. You know, what did it, if you have teenagers, you might have run into this <laughs> once in a while. Right. <laughs> You're generous. And then they come back. I didn't want that. Oh, OK. So the same, you know, we, we call ourselves good stewards, right? So our issue with God being sovereign and our problem that we can have with him being sovereign sometimes is the same thing we commend in ourselves, right? 
Look at what good stewards we are. I'm controlling it. I'm a good steward. We're the stewards, and we're going to address that soon. God is not a steward, right? Everything is His. He's the potter. We're the clay. So why diversity? Because that's the way God wants it, and it's what's best, and it shows us more about who He is, and He gets the glory. Okay? He's in charge. So now let's look at... uh, the results here and the reaction of the master. Remember, the, war, the, the reward's the same, those two verses, right? 21 and 23. God does not reward us according to the amount we return to him. Okay? He does so on the basis of what we do with what he has given us. The faithful servant of God will enter the joy of the Lord with well done, good and faithful servant ringing in their ears. The creator of the cosmos, the eternal king of kings, the God of the ages will say to you, come into my joy, good and faithful servant. Wow. Wow. But there's another result. The answer to a wasted life. <clears throat> there's a time, as we've discussed, when the master will return. Or you will go to meet him. A time when accounts will have to be settled. And there's two things we should know about this settlement. Number one, it will be personal. It's your account. Not your church. I went to this great church. Not your Bible study group. Not books you've read. Not the family you're in. Which, by the way, are all things that you've been given by God. But what have you done with what you were given? You. What you have done with what you have been given. And it will also be particular. Matthew 12, 36 says, I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. That's a tough one (laughs) for me. Every empty word they have spoken. We look at our whole life and we... We think we've done pretty good, right? Better than most. You hear that a lot. Better than most people. Maybe some things here or there, some little things maybe that I could have done differently. Here's what Charles Spurden says. Do you know that yesterday was made up of little things and the things of today are all little and what you do tomorrow will be a little thing, will all be little things. Every little thing counts, right? Have you ever heard this little poem? For want of a nail, a shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the battle was lost. For want of a battle, the war was lost. All because of a little 10 cent horseshoe nail. Okay, so little things work their way into big things. Everything is made up of little things. Okay? And every little thing is going to be accounted for. <clears throat> so different amounts or responsibilities and two vastly different results. But here I'd like to point out a few things about the servant, the one with the one talent, and then I'll end with some encouragement. Okay? <clears throat> 
Number one, the servant, that's the guy who got the one talent and buried it, okay? The servant who received the one talent was a servant or claimed to be. He lived under the master's roof. He ate the master's food. He worked around the master's house or fields until his heart was exposed. He said, Lord, here is what is yours. So he knew where it came from, right? He says, Lord, this is yours. Look back, if you're still in Matthew 25, flip back to Matthew 24. And look at verses uh, 12 and 13. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then drop down to verse 45. I'll read 45 to 51. 45 says, Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if the evil slave says to his in his heart, My master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So again, we see the different types of servants, but they're both servants, right? The servant with the one talent this is number two. The servant with the one talent was responsible for the least amount. Yet he was still accountable. He was punished because he or he wasn't punished because he lost or squandered his master's money. Right. He didn't lose anything. He was cast into outer darkness because he was respond. He wasn't cast into outer darkness because he was responsible for such a large amount. It was the least. And that made me think of, I used to work in apartments and in HUD properties and things and rent. If you pay $5 a month rent or $5,000 a month rent, whatever you pay, if you don't pay your rent, same result. <laughs> you get evicted, right? So it's the same idea. It wasn't because he lost anything. It wasn't because he got a huge amount and didn't do anything with it. And he got the smallest amount and just did nothing with it. So that brings us to the third one. The servant with the one talent, he went out of his way to avoid doing anything with what he had been given. It would have been easier for him to deposit the money and get back the interest. The master said that. You could have just took it to the bankers and gave it to them and I would have got my money back. Instead, he went out, spent time finding a place, digging a hole, burying it, marking it, camouflaging it. All, you know, it took a lot of effort right, to, to go put this talent somewhere where he could find it again. It would have been a lot easier if he had just took it to the bankers. So he went out of his way. My uh, my mom used to say that to me. I was one of those kids. She said, you could have gotten all this done if you'd have just quit trying to get out of it. You know, the amount of energy that you spent trying to get out of it, you could have had it done. Right. And then I, you know, when I started coaching and things, I started seeing that as well. It's, it's, we, we spend a lot of time and a lot of effort trying to get out of things that if we just did them, it would have been easier on us. So three things. So the servant... And received the one talent. He was a servant. He was responsible for the least amount. And he went out of his way to not do anything with it. So now some encouragement. 
Encouragement is we've been given things by our master. We've been given everything from our master. It has been said, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said, no man has anything of his own except his sins. Think about that for a minute. No man or woman has anything of his own except his sin. James 1, turn to James 1. Let me see a good expression of this. James chapter 1, 14 to 18. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. That's my sin, right? His own lust. Then when the lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variance or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. We've been given everything. And there it shows our sin. <laughs> we have our sin, but God gives us everything. So there's a couple of things I'd like you to remember that our sovereign God has given us everything perfectly. When we, when we say that phrase, okay, we've been given everything perfectly. We've been given things by God. There's two things we need to think about. One is we don't need to worry, right, about how much or concerned about how much I, I perceive I've been given or not given, right? And if that's true, then we for sure don't need to worry about what other people have been given or not given, right? Yeah. And the other thing, third thing, is we don't need to wait, Right? If I just had this, if I just got married, if I just had this job, if I just, you know, moved to this place, whatever it is that we're waiting for that we think God needs to give us before we do something, we're wrong. We're wrong. We have it. First Peter 1, 3, his divine power has given us everything we need. We're going to read that passage later. <clears throat> so here's some. Oops, too many. Okay. These are some things I'd like for you if you've got something to write with or you can remember, I can get this slide to you. <clears throat> These are things, just a short list of things that are in your talent sack, right? These are things, some things that you've been given, okay? And we can turn, we can turn, we'll turn a look at some of these, okay? The first one is your breath, you are alive because God caused you to be born. Psalm 139.13, right? We were formed. He formed us, knit us together in our mother's womb. Okay? And then turn to, turn to Isaiah 42, verse 5. <clears throat> this one is uh, kind of a special gift for me because I, some of you know that I'm a widower and my late wife, we dealt for 10 years with breathing Issues. She had a heart and lung disorder. So the breath, every breath being a gift is kind of rings true with me. <laughs> 42 verse 5. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath 
to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. We used to have an expression in the in the army for somebody that kind of wasn't pulling their weight or was, you know, slacking off a little bit. We used to call them an oxygen thief. They were burning up oxygen that we could be using to get stuff done. Right. But think about that when you're breathing something that you do, you know, 16 times every minute your entire life and you don't think about it at all. But it's something that you can't live without. (laughs) You've been given your breath in your life. Father's Day is coming up, right? How about parents? Parents, do you know that children are a gift from God? Turn to Psalm 127. Some of you might have that one memorized, right? Psalm 127. Sword drills again, right? <laughs> Some of you are doing it on your phone. That's not fair. All right. <clears throat> Psalm 127. <clears throat> I'll start with verse 1 because I love verse 1 too. And that's kind of one that we've been praying for this church. And, you know, this is, a, this is a good one. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. <clears throat> it is vain for you to rise up early and to retire late to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives... To his beloved, even his sheep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are children, the children of one's youth. Blessed is a man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies at the gate. Think about that analogy of an arrow, right? Do we take our quiver full of arrows and go set it in the corner? Can an archer do that and leave it in the corner and not do anything with it? Or do you have to actually put the arrow, notch it, knock it, stretch it, aim it? You have to aim it at a specific target, right, if you want to do it. So it's a good analogy. (laughs) Good analogy of what to do with our gift of children. What about each other? Ecclesiastes 4.12, a a three-strand cord is not easily broken, right? And... You know, I would refer you to the sermon that I just did on, on running the race together, right? And, and this is something to point out, too, that we read. Remember the verse we read in Second Kings? A talent is enough for one man to carry. So what do you think the, the guy with five talents did? Do you think he made five trips in and out of his master's things? Or you maybe said, hey, I need some help. I can't bear this gift by myself. Hmm? Interesting. So we've been given each other. God gives us things that are too much for us to bear on our own. And he also says in the scriptures that some of us go through things just so that we can help other people go through those same things, too. Okay. Amen. So what about the new birth? Your birth. We talked about your birth is God's. Your new birth is God's. Right. Your salvation. Right. First Peter one. Three through five. We can look at that one. First Peter. One. I mentioned it earlier. Let's read the context here a little bit. First Peter one. Three through five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Amen. 1 John 3.16 says, We know love by this, that Christ gave Himself for us, and we ought to give ourselves for the brethren. And, of course, we've been through Philippians 2. It's been a little while back, but Philippians 2, 5 through 8, where Jesus empties Himself, comes to earth as a baby, lives His entire perfect life, dies on the cross for us. So the gospel, the gospel and your salvation are gifts from God. Also, there's more. All of God's promises. All of God's promises in Scripture. Second Peter 1.4. We're going to see this in context a little bit later too. But Second Peter 1.4. And one of the promises that I like that some of you I'm sure have heard and cling to also is Romans 8. Romans 8.28. We know that God causes all things to work together. Those who love Him, those are called according to His purpose. Okay? That's a promise given by God. It also says at the end of Romans, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not even you. Well, what about your trials? James 1, 2-4 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing because of your trials, joy in your trials, a gift from a sovereign, loving God. So meditate on these things, add to them, right? Encourage each other with them. Okay. When you come across these things, look at this promise I found. Encourage each other, this gifts that we've been given, and remind ourselves. We don't think about our breath. We talked about that. <clears throat> That's why we come here on Lord's Day, too, and Wednesdays and Saturdays and Friday, you know, when we're meeting together. These are things that we need to be doing and encouraging and, and looking at, helping each other. Last slide. Let's, let's turn to Second Peter. We're in First Peter. Let's turn over a couple to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. I read this one a couple of Wednesdays ago, too, because uh, this is one that we've been going through as couples and kind of using as a goal passage and something that we've been reminding each other of and and encouraging each other with. And uh, I want you to remember when we read this, though, that Peter was with Jesus when he told the story, the, the parable of the talents, the story of the talents. Right. Peter was there. He was one of the disciples that heard the parable of the talents firsthand. Okay. Then he saw, he was one of the three that saw Christ ascend too, right? Leave. He saw the master leave. Okay. So if anybody has a good take on this and what this means, it would be Peter, right? Okay. So let's hear what Peter has to say about it. I'm going to read 2 through 11. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these 
He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, like the guys with the five talents and the two talents, right? (laughs) These things are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from the former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Well done, good and faithful servant, right? Doesn't that sound an awful lot like that story? Just put down in direct terms to a church, to the churches. It's amazing. And I want to leave you with one last thought from Titus. And this goes back to the sermon that Guga did, the two sermons he did, I think, on our bulwark, our hope, right? So Titus. Chapter 2. I'll read 11 through 14. The Master's returning, right? (laughs) For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. A people of his own possession. That's interesting, isn't it? The master in the story gave his possessions to his servants, right? That's another example that his possessions have been given to us, each other. We've been given each other, right? We're his possession. He gives us to each other. And that's our bulwark. And that's our hope. That's the thing we bank on. That's the thing we need to especially remind each other of is that the Master's returning. We're going to go see Him. Some of us sooner than others. But we're all going to see Him. And we'll be together for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again. It's been said numerous times this morning, but thank you again so much for your word. Thank you for leaving us your word. Lord, the promises that you've given us in your word, the direction, the commands. Lord, we're grateful for it. And we're grateful that uh, you've given us Pastor Guga as our teacher. We pray that he would come back healthy and safe and uh, we'd be able to hear more and more from you. Thank you for answering our prayer, giving us a time of worship for you this morning. I pray, Lord, that it would continue 
out of our hearts, out of the abundance of our hearts, that we continue to give you praise and glory and honor and worship throughout the rest of the week. And Lord, we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.